The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. Any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. Hi, and welcome to a shortcast version of Real Estate with Howard Drukarsh. This is a version of the show that will be shorter than our normal one, and we're delighted to have our guest, Ted Siakopoulos, back with us again. Ted was a guest on episode 11, and it was one of our most popular episodes, and he's agreed to come back and talk about topical issues in the economy. For those that don't remember uh, Ted's official title, Ted is the Senior Economist Specialist, Housing Markets Policy at Canada Mortgage and Housing Corp, CMHC. Uh, Ted, welcome back to the program. Delightful to see you again. Nice to see you, Howard. Thank you for the invite. Okay, and and we'll get right to it. Um, I invited Ted and said, why don't we do it on the basis of, I'll ask some questions I think people will be interested in, uh, and then you can share your your expertise and insights. So um, inflation is clearly one of the important things people are hearing about. Um, And what I wanted to know is, uh, is, in, is inflation, is it critical in shaping the behavior of interest rates? Um, and what factors are contributing uh, to rising inflation? Yeah, I mean, it's the, the topic du jour, Howard, um, you know, what factors are, are leading to higher inflation? Um, I, I wanted to reverse a bit, uh, you know, backtrack a bit. Uh, um, you know, we hear a lot about supply chain issues feeding inflation. Um, and and the supply chain issues starting in, in, in you know during the, the pandemic, I would say um, the seeds of uh, the supply chain effect on inflation, the seeds were actually planted several years before the pandemic even began. Uh, there were two big macroeconomic events, Howard, that uh, are, are quite notable. The first, of course, is Shell Oil. Um, you may know that the, the U.S developed technology to be able to extract that from from uh, deep, deep under uh, underground. Um, you know, that was really a, a, a you know, situation where the U.S. Uh, really was looking at becoming more self-sufficient, um, really uh, looking at becoming less reliant on other oil producing nations. So ultimately, it was a statement about perhaps less trade, maybe, uh, you know, uh, a threat to a globalized free trade world the way we knew it. Uh, a second very important uh, uh, event also prior to the pandemic was, you know, China's industrial strategy uh, that by 2025, uh, China's focus wouldn't be so much on um, uh, trade and, and having trade drive its economy, but rather, um, you know, more organic growth domestically. Um, you know, China had this aspiration as well that they want to be competing in the high-end manufacturing space, high-tech, becoming less dependent on other countries. And so it was a, it was a clear message, maybe a subtle message, that you know the globalized economy, the globalization as we knew it, was really starting to shift. Of course, a few years thereafter, we had the China-U.S. trade wars, we had Brexit, then the pandemic hit Howard, um, and you know economies just froze. Central banks, governments injected all of this stimulus to help revive the economy. Uh, you know, the recovery occurred at, in, in rapid, rapid time, the fastest economic recovery we've ever seen. So demand picked up. Supply, however, had a hard time keeping pace. So that's where you began to see the, the, the cracks, the supply chain sort of arguments 
you know, oil not keeping pace with demand. OPEC wasn't opening the taps quick enough. Uh, lumber not keeping pace with demand. Uh, you had computer chips not keeping pace with demand. The supply of cars, and and the, the list goes on. Um, and, and so, you know, ultimately, it didn't end there because we knew that, you know, a few months ago, uh, geopolitical tensions also erupted. Uh, the world put some uh, restrictions on, on Russia, shutting them out of the global financial system, the trading system. That created more supply chain issues, uh, Howard. And, and so um, those events haven't really fully been uh, reflected in inflation. But if you look at the latest readings on inflation in, in, in the U.S., it ranges between 75 to 8%. Uh, in Canada, headline inflation ranging between, you know, 55 to 6%, well above the 2% target that we were so used to in both Canada and the United States. So those were really the factors that really played a big part in, in driving inflation. Um, and thanks for explaining it in, in clear terms, because, you know, as a, as a neophyte consumer, uh, if there isn't a news article on inflation every five minutes, because people are trying to understand why are things getting more expensive? And the answers are, you know, they're, they're not necessarily consistent, right? And they're certainly not coming from an economist, let's put it that way. So that, that, that helps. The, the other question I had, or another question I had is, why are inflation expectations so important in the broader uh, economy and housing, which is your expertise? Uh, inflation expectations are critical. So before I give the why, what are inflation expectations? There's actually a lot of great data on inflation expectations. Federal Reserve Board in the United States, the Bank of Canada, conducts surveys. And they, you know, they go out and they ask consumers and investors, where do you see inflation a year from now, three years from now, five years from now? So that kind of picks up the inflation and expectation uh, of different economic agents in the economy. Um, you know, the best way to describe why inflation expectations are so important and how they can impact behavior. I'm going to give you three very great examples. I'm going to use a uh, household in Russia uh, who's now facing, um, uh, you know, a ruble that's eroding in value. I'm going to use a Canadian investor who's investing in Canadian housing. And then I'm going to use a homeowner or a prospective home buyer, first time buyer, who wants to enter the housing market uh, as a user, not as an investor. Let's start with a household, Russian household, uh, we know what's going on with the Russian lira. It's, sorry, Russian ruble lira. I'm thinking of Italy here. Russian ruble. Um, it's, it's really come under attack, speculative attack. It's been eroding in value. So a lot of households in Russia have this expectation that the value of their money is, 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 is evaporating um, and that inflation is going to go up. It's going to cost them more money because the ruble is worth less. So they are trying to get rid of the ruble as quickly as possible, buy groceries, buy clothing, buy whatever they can. So that high inflation expectation in their minds is pushing them to act quickly. And then that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because ultimately if everybody is in the marketplace buying goods, driving prices up, eventually actual inflation you know, moves higher. Let's look at the Canadian investor. Here's, a great, here's another great example. If Canadian investors believe that prices, home prices, continue to grow at a rate of 30 to 40 percent, based on what we've seen in some markets in the last few years, then that's going to 
attract more speculative money into the real estate housing market, uh, that's going to push investors to take on more risk. Why? Because they know they will be compensated uh, by that risk because their expectation is that prices will continue to be growing at a 30 to 40% rate. So you, you, you've got all of you've got more speculation in the marketplace driving prices up. Again, becomes self-fulfilling prophecy. It actually puts upward pressure on actual housing prices, the prices that we observe. Finally, uh, if you look at you know uh, first-time buyers or prospective first-time buyers, if they believe prices are going to be growing at 20 to 30 percent, they got this FOMO mindset. FOMO meaning the fear of missing out. So what do they do? How does their expectations affect their behavior? They want to get into this market as quickly as possible before they get shut out. And in some cases, they make impulsive decisions. They spend more than the budget allocated to them. They take on more debt. Ultimately, again, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You get enough people thinking this way. They move into the market. They push prices up. Affordability erodes. So it's critical that we restrain inflation expectations as much as possible. It, it is it is absolutely critical. Now, if I have a second, Howard, um, I, I'd like to show you a graphic, if I may, if, if we do have a second. Sure. Um, Please do. Is that, is that, yeah. Is that possible? So yeah. I'm going to share my screen very quickly here. Okay. And okay, so... Um, what I'm seeing here is uh, I will need permission from you to share, but if that's an issue, maybe we can we can uh, we can avoid no, <laughs> avoid going down that road. But no, we, maybe I'll... we're working on it as we speak. Okay, all right. Okay, okay. Um, basically, as as you're you're working on it, I'll set it up for you. What I want to show you is a visual of inflation expectations in the U.S. and Canada. Okay. And what you're going to see is um, is how inflation expectations were historically over the last several decades, and what they look like today. Um, and if we're not able to show it visually, uh, I can describe it verbally. Okay. Um, um, uh, so. Um, okay. I think we're uh, we're, we're ready to go. Yes, we are ready to go. So okay. uh, I'll show you uh, what what. Okay, we're there. We're there. So here's a picture of U.S. inflation expectations. Again, U.S. consumers thinking what inflation will look like 12 months from now. And this data is tracked historically. Now, you can see between, you know, the 1990 and, and, and 2021, um, inflation expectations were very stable, right? They ranged between 2 to 4%. We knew exactly um, where they stood. Fairly stable. Economists call this expectations that are anchored, like a, like a bull. It's very stationary. That's what you want to see. But look what's happened in the last year. Mm. So we see a bit of a breakout here, that people believe that inflation is going to grow over the next year. Okay, And the Canadian picture, Howard, is not that different. Here it is here. Uh, inflation expectations were ranging between 2 to 3%. Now people believe that um, inflation is going to be growing in the next year. 12 months. Uh, so I think it's important that we restrain this. And the way to restrain it is to say, as a central bank, we're going to step in and we're going to uh, put the brakes on this inflationary pressure, bring inflation back 
closer to that one to three percent range that we've been accustomed to in the past. Um, because the last thing you want is to continue to see inflation expectations trending up, as you see in this in this visual. And you know when that happens, you know if you're a worker, what, end, what ends up happening is is when you, when when it comes time to negotiate your wages, you're going to negotiate a higher wage because you want to keep up with the cost of living. Uh, employers are going to say, well, unemployment rates are so low, labor markets are so tight, they will have to pay that. But what they're going to do is, is they're going to pass it on mm-hmm. into final prices. They're going to pass it on to the consumer. So you get this. So now, now inflation goes up further. Workers are saying, boy, oh boy, I have to compensate myself even more. So there's this wage price spiral that's never ending. And this is why um, you know central banks need to take inflation expectations quite seriously. Yeah, really great expectation. Expectation, really great explanation. Um, because again, it's it's hard for the average consumer to understand why why does the bank do what it does, and and you know, and, and different commentators give you know kind of a colloquial answer. But I think from an economist, that it, it's very clearly explained. Um, I have one more question. And it's this, the consensus call is that interest rates are moving higher, but, but are there limits to how much they can go up by? Um, yeah, so I guess the consensus view right now, um, uh, um, Howard, is that the central bank will need to step in and start raising interest rates to bring inflation expectations back down to the range that, I, that I've shown you, more importantly, bring actual inflation back to, uh, you know, that one to three percent range, not this five to eight percent range that we're seeing in Canada and the United States. So the consensus out there right now among economists and financial markets is that we're going to see uh, about a 150 basis point increase in the overnight rate. That equates to a one and a half percentage point increase in, in, the, in the central bank rate. Do I believe that's what we're going to see? I don't think we're going to get there for three reasons. The first is that uh, some of the Bank of Canada's work is being done by by the fact that uh, while wages are growing at a rate of 2% and inflation is growing at three times that rate in Canada, people's purchasing power is already eroding as we speak, uh, which means that Consumption is going to moderate, irrespective of what the Bank of Canada does. Consumption is going to moderate. Demand is going to come off. And that's going to take some pressure off of the Bank of Canada uh, to, to say, hey, maybe we don't have to go the full 100 yards, the full 1.5%. Mm-hmm. A second uh, reason why uh, we may not see that kind of a rate hike uh, is that monetary policy is very effective. And a very effective lever to deal with price pressures that are within our, our borders. But we know that the supply chain issue is a global phenomenon. Monetary policy isn't that effective in restraining global inflation. So if you put the foot on the brake too aggressively, knowing that it's not as effective restraining inflation, you run the risk of keeping inflation high, but then damaging growth in the process. Mm. So basically, you run the risk of reviving the stagflation years of the 1970s, where we had persistently high inflation, 
but growth slowed down and in some cases became negative. We fell into a recession. So you, the Bank of Canada needs to proceed very cautiously here on that front. The third important reason why I don't think we're going to go the, the full 100 yards in the next year in terms of rate hikes is that historically higher oil prices have translated into um, uh, slower growth, uh, you know, six to nine to 12 months thereafter. Um, and so, and in some cases, a recession. So the Bank of Canada is well aware of some of these risks. And I think they will be very uh, careful in striking the right balance between fighting inflation and ensuring that we continue to sustain some level of growth in, in the broader economy. Uh, Ted, this has been great. You know, uh, um, to, to have it clarified is everything because it's, you know, most people don't have the expertise or the understanding of what does it mean to me, essentially, which is what people are after. So thank you for that. But before I let you go, um, let's talk about another passion that you have. And I believe that one would be soccer, correct? <laughs> yes, yeah. Okay, I, I, so I, tell I, us I what's going on with Canada and soccer. <laughs> Um, well, uh, Howard, you know, when I was on your show a year ago, um, I had a choice to make a professionally play, play professional soccer or um, become an economist. Obviously, you saw what uh, I've chosen here. Uh, but, you know, having followed and played and coached for over 40 years, um, there is a real, uh, this is a bit of a plug, um, a critical game tomorrow night. Canada's taking on Costa Rica. They're 7-0 in this final round of World Cup qualifying. All they need is a tie. Uh, or a victory, and they clinch their place in the World Cup, first time in 37 years. So it is a, a big moment. Um, you know, Canada is uh, behind the team. Uh, you saw what happened in Edmonton, you know, over 50,000 fans. Um, so they are playing in, in Costa Rica tomorrow night and coming back to BMO Field here on Sunday. So if they don't get the job done tomorrow night, it'd be great to see them um, qualify on, on, on Canadian soil. So. Uh, hoping all Canadians uh, support the team. It's a great story. Well, if you make it to BMO Field, and I certainly hope you do, uh, save your voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> well, Ted, this is a pleasure. And as I said in the beginning, we're going to have you back uh, monthly because I think what you talk about is what people want to know about. It's, uh, you know, it explains, um, let's call it a more sophisticated topic that most people don't either understand or have time to understand. So we really appreciate your time. Um, I'll close with Go Canada. <laughs> All right. And we'll we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Really appreciate you. See time. you next month. Thank, Thank you, you Ted. Much. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye.